and everybody has it back again. Don't take no mess at the rose garden. Jesus, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can scrapple it. How they win that game today? There's just one thing you can say. How does Scotty shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy. How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe it, it ain't easy. It's the flying dot that's in your lap. Welcome back to the Rose Garden Report podcast. I am Sean Hyken. Got a very exciting, at least for me, an exciting and a special episode for you guys. Some of you guys started following me when I came back to Portland and started covering the Blazers in about 2017. Some of you go back with me further than that to when I was in Chicago and when I was on the Bulls beat. And those of you who go back that far with me know that when I was covering the Bulls, I used to co-host the Locked On Bulls podcast in the early days of the Locked On Network with Cody Westerlund, my buddy who's the web editor slash Bulls beat writer for 670 The Score, which, you know, this podcast is part of the Odyssey family. Uh, you know, 670 is an Odyssey station just like 1080. And somehow, even though, you know, Cody and I did probably like 200 episodes together in in the in the year that we did the podcast together i don't think we have done very much together as far as being on podcasts together since then and with the blazers playing the bulls coming up at the end of the week i just figured let's get cody back on let's catch up let's you know run it back to the 2017 era locked on bulls so we do that we talk a lot of it it's a lot of bulls stuff so you know to be honest i mean look we all know what the Blazers season is right now. There's really not that much to say about it right now. The team, you know, they're probably going to shut Dame down in the next week or so. They're not going to make the playoffs. They're going to have probably the fifth or sixth best lottery odds. We'll get to all that at the end of the season. I figure these last couple of weeks of the season make a little bit more sense to bring on, like, some people who cover the other team that the Blazers are playing because that's a little bit more interesting than, you know, the 10 millionth way that we can say, uh, oh yeah, you know, Dame is going off, but the Blazers are just, their season is over. They're going to shut him down. Like, we, we don't need to spend whole episodes on that anymore. So Cody and I get into a lot of Bulls stuff. It's pretty interesting. Cody covers that team very well and has covered that team very well for a long time. And, you know, we also go down a little bit of memory lane about like our time covering the Bulls and some of like the Fred Hoiberg stuff, the Jimmy Butler stuff, the three alphas stuff. Uh, we get it. We get into a lot of that, but uh, as always, you can get the podcast on Apple, Spotify, all the usual platforms. You can get us on the Odyssey app, go on YouTube, make sure you subscribe on YouTube to the Rose Garden Report. Even if you're not a watching it on YouTube, it still helps me if you subscribe. So go do that and make sure you go to rosegardenreport.com, subscribe to the newsletter, free subscriptions or paid subscriptions i would encourage you to get the paid subscription because i have a bunch of more exclusive stuff coming up you know as we kind of wind the season down and get into the off season that's where a lot of that stuff is going to be got some stuff coming there so make sure you go do that but let's get into this conversation with cody westerland now cody we did probably what 200 episodes of Locked on Bulls together that year and a half or so that we did them. I'm pretty sure, you can correct me if I'm wrong, 
But I'm pretty sure that this is the first time we've actually been on a podcast together since then. Oh, I got to think, Hiken. I got to think. <laughs> um, I can't think anything off the top of my head, so you might be right. I feel like there was maybe one other time. We might have done one with Tony when he was still on yeah. the store, When he yeah. was doing, shout out to No Zones. Yeah, RIP No Zones. It's gone through a lot of name changes over the years, I think. Yeah, shout out to Tony doing big things now at NBC Sports Chicago the ringer jason goff all of that he's had a great come up that's a man who works hard Mm -hmm. and uh, deserves it but yeah it's uh it's good to be back as you said i think uh among the ogs here i guess for for locked on bulls um years ago we 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 spit out some some fire takes back then it was (laughs) clearly it was clearly the formative days of podcasting right like now as you just presented to me all the podcasts are on video. Oh, Audio yeah. quality is way better. Got a professional producer that makes it sound great. And back then it was just click record and who knew where we were. Sometimes it was a car. Sometimes it was the press room. Sometimes it was your apartment. Never knew. I don't think we even had uh, theme music. I think we would just like <laughs> we would hit record and just go, welcome into another episode of Locked on Bulls and go through the whole spiel. And like, I mean, I, I think I would say most of them we did through like after the bowl after games we would go back into like the back room where the photographers uh would like have would set up at the united center like in the media room and then uh otherwise for road games or for like off day ones like you would just like come over to my apartment and we would record like we would yeah. watch the game on tv and then record but yeah that was that was a very I, i'm pretty sure actually you know what i just i saw Locke a couple months ago whenever the last time the jazz were here yeah and he told me that we were the first people when he was expanding the network when he was because he used to do lock just locked on jazz just as his own podcast when he was expanding it into other markets uh we were the first ones that signed on and the way i remember it is he called you yeah you wanted to do it but you didn't want to do it by yourself so you called me and asked if i wanted to do it with you and then once i said yes you were in i yeah that's pretty much 100 percent correct i uh uh, I enjoy talking Bulls. I enjoy talking the NBA. Happy to talk anything. I was not at the time prepared to ever host anything solo, which I'm probably still not good enough at now. So um, I still hate but, doing it. I, I, I've done it a handful of times here when like I needed to get an episode out and I didn't have a guest or I couldn't get someone. I have so much respect for the people who, like here in Portland, Mike Richmond does uh, Locked on Blazers, and he does it solo pretty much five days a week. And I have so much respect for people who are able to do that, or people who host solo radio. That is not me. You have at to all. be incredibly compelling, and I, I think we're compelling when we uh, when we shoot back and forth. But yeah. I'll, uh, I'll stay in my lane and know that uh, usually takes a guess for me um, when we're talking hoops. Yeah, absolutely. So. The Bulls might be the only team in the NBA that's in a more depressing spot than the Blazers are right now. Have you not heard about the Pat Bev effect? What I are mean, they now? Seven and four since I believe eight and four as we speak on Tuesday evening, uh-huh. um, since the Patrick Beverly edition at the All Star break, and at least as of before their win against the Seventy Sixers and. After the Bulls' big double overtime win on Monday night against 76ers, I imagine they're still probably top five in the NBA in net rating since he joined the team. So uh, they were extremely depressing, as you noted, until Pat Bev showed up. 
And now they're seeing a little bit of a little ray of sunshine, I guess you could say. But I think we all know how it's probably still going to end. Yeah, the ray of sunshine is now they're solidly in the play-in, not fighting to get in the play-in or fighting to stay in the play-in. I think it's pretty it's pretty clear they're going to be one of the top 10 teams. Whether they get through the play-in and get into the top eight, that's like a different thing. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, so so the, the Pat Bev thing, he's so, I mean, I think just because, I mean, obviously in Portland, there's, you know, a big history between him and Dame and like they've gone back and forth on Instagram and Dame has like... tweeted about how he's a fraud and stuff but it really does seem like he's changed you know culturally it's it it, it seems like he's kind of done what they wanted Tristan Thompson to do when they brought him in as a buyout guy last year but it's it seems like this has actually worked I think the the Patrick Beverly effect is it's it's a dose of medicine that you probably want in small doses and it depends really what ailment you have to, right? Like, I understand why he's a journeyman in the NBA. Because his style, I'm sure, on teams that he's been around for a while can wear him down, kind of. Or you saw when he was with the Clippers kind of transition from the gritty Clippers team to the more um, starred Ladden Clippers team um, with with Kawhi and and. Paul George and everything. And it's like, we don't need that type of guy as much anymore, but the bulls are in the unique place where this is a team that as much as we talk about X's and O's, a huge part of the game, your talents, a huge part of the game, it's playing style. And the bulls are in like the eighties or nineties with their playing style. Cause they don't shoot many threes. Those are all the main reasons you win and lose, but there's an emotional component of whether you bring it every night and fire them up. And they they did get lackadaisical a lot this year. Um, and you can argue about how much of it was talent and how much of it was was playing with the fire and the passion, which people love to talk about in Chicago because it's an easy talking oh, point, yeah. right? Well, he, he just helped solve that a little bit more. And I think really his effect has been – he's had a couple hot shooting stretches on offense, but it's defense night to night where he's going to do the most. And – He's been really good, like, recovering um, defensively. Like, he just – he can close off a gap when he's a help defender and recover back to his guy or to a spot in the rotation. I think that's the biggest effect he's had on them, just X's and O's-wise. I was watching a little bit of the end of the Sixers game last night, and there was this one play. It was in either the fourth quarter or one of the two overtimes because that was the part of it that I saw. Yeah. But – he had he was like he had, he was like standing in front of James Harden and basically got Harden to like fall on top of him and Bev ended up getting called for a foul but it was just like you could tell Harden was just like so annoyed by it him. was that 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 play I love that play right yeah Patrick Beverly did not get a foul call on that play because he was actually in a clearly illegal guarding position <laughs> he literally got the foul call because the refs are like. Bro, you are way too over the top now. They're just trying to inbound this ball. And because he initially. It was a reputation had, call. Yeah, he had position on Harden. And if Beverly hadn't fallen down and then like half pulled Harden down too, they would have let it go. But like he initially had good position. Then he just made a huge scene, which is kind of what he does, which I mean, that play made me laugh a lot because it could have burned him, you know, like the free throw and then another bucket. And all of a sudden, instead of a game, you should be tied in, you're down one or something, you know. That could have been really bad for him, um, potentially. 
but I just, I just loved, uh, I love that play so much. It, it really summed up what he's been in Chicago. I mean, it was such a shot in the arm though, because like throughout the rest of the season, it's like, okay. I mean, they like on paper, they have the, I mean, you, and you saw like they made the playoffs last year for the first time since, since I was on the beat since the yeah. three alphas year, but on paper, they've got guys like they've got Vucevic who they traded all that stuff for. He's having a good year. They've got Levine. They've got DeRo- Like They've got dudes, but it just wasn't something just wasn't working. And it may not may still not be working. And ultimately, they're probably their ceiling is a first round exit. But I think an important part of this is and this can probably be traced back to some criticism of the front office uh-huh. for not filling the Lonzo void earlier. Billy Donovan likes Io DeSumo quite a bit, but he overplayed him because he didn't have a lot of other good options and because you can't really play Alex Caruso 34 minutes for 82 games a year, obviously, because he's just he's going to get banged up this the way he plays, and he's not a traditional point guard either. And, like, Pat Bev's not your traditional point guard of the NBA anymore because he's not going off pick-and-roll screens all the time right. like these explosive guys but he is a point guard on the defensive end and he's a point guard in how he organizes a team within their sets still. Um, so that's important. And to me, it's like, this is all it took. like when Lonzo was healthy last year, the bulls were really good before mid January, right? Yeah. They were absolutely electric to watch play. They're not going to be electric with Patrick Beverly, but if you can recapture some of that success, obviously not the same style, just by having what a, a re- He's an average NBA point guard, maybe, and he's certainly the type of guy they need. Like, average in the things he is, the context of the player he is, right? right. He's aging. He's not going to score 20 points a game. But he, he can do. He can be reliable from night to night. Iota Sumu's not as reliable. And it's like, oh, that's all you guys needed to do? Well, you know, last July, instead of signing Goran Dragic on, like, the fourth day of free agency to a minimum level contract after it fell you know, after it fell through the cracks in Dallas of whatever negotiations he had with the Mavericks and he wanted a role, the Bulls signed him and Dragic was good at throwing lobs to Andre Drummond for like three weeks and made some threes to start and then it went downhill. It's like you needed to invest a little bit more in that position, even if it was like a five or six million dollar player, like maybe the Bulls could be, you know, five games over 500 right now instead of fighting for the 10 seed in the East. Where do you land on the new front office? Because Obviously, the front office regime that was there when you and I were on the beat together was very, very, very unpopular with a lot of people in in the city and in the fan base. And I feel like the current front office got a couple of years of basically just goodwill of just not being the old regime. And now it's starting to feel like okay, they made all those big swings last, you know, they made the big Vucevic trade, which hasn't really panned out because they gave up a ton of picks and like Wendell Carter has looked really good in Orlando. And then like they maybe, you know, they gave up on Lowry Markinen maybe too early and he is doing what he's doing in Utah now, which I I would argue he wasn't going to do that in Chicago anyway, but that's a whole other thing. But like where where do people generally land on on the current front office now? Are they kind of over it again or is it still... Like, are people still saying, you know, let's wait it out. Let's see, you know, let's see how it goes. There's just been growing discontent over the last couple months. And um, it was the way they were playing. It was the fact that they didn't have any depth for for Lonzo being out and then realizing, 
Lonzo's health reality became more clear just, you know, in these past two months. Like, I mean, right. you go back to the end of December, January 1st, and you'd ask Bulls front office people to sign the scenes. You're like, yeah, like Lonzo's not going back this year. And they'd be like, well, I mean, he's still working at it. Like there was a little bit of hope, right? And it's right. Like, it's like they were they were not publicly or privately behind the scenes saying anything. Um, but that, they kind of knew what everybody knew what was. They up. knew they weren't letting on yet, but like I don't think they wanted to come with grips of the kind of the fallout that comes with that. When um, clearly the Pelicans knew something at the time that they let him walk for very little in the sign and trade and didn't sign him to the the big contracts. So um, I think when you talk about the front office, it's interesting to me because you just mentioned the old front office with John Paxton and Gar Foreman. Like this, this front office is just so different, right? Like the old one was certainly conservative by NBA. T- terms you know um did not go out and make huge trades um other than really i guess that the jimmy butler trade but you have to trade him when you hit a rebuilding button but right. nothing like the acquisitions of lonzo ball and demar Derozan and nikola vucevic early on in this regime's tenure um the other front office was happy to talk to you behind the scenes all the time and yell at you this front office just ignores oh, the media like they just ignore the media so like they're not sitting there like working back channels to criticize what you've said. So I don't know how concerned this front office really is about the criticism, but um, we'll have to see how that plays out because it, the Vooch trade isn't working whatsoever at all. And I, I will be interested to see how he plays out with his free agency coming up. Like, are they so attached to him for optics? How do they sell it? If they bring him back, you can't really let him walk for nothing. When you didn't trade him at the deadline, that would be bad business. So this front office, to me, I, I think we need to judge him like Lonzo Ball was already tied to the Bulls before the Bulls acquired him. Like the, the Gar Pax regime wanted him if they yeah. could have got him early. I remember you, know? you and I were doing uh, when we do, when when you know when we were still doing Locked On Bulls. This was the up leading up into the 2017 draft, uh, and there were all the rumors of, because I think their pick their their actual pick that they had was like the 15th pick. It was like one of the last picks in the in the non lottery. Yeah. Yep. So it was like a mid-first round. And there were all the rumors about, like, are they going to trade Jimmy Butler? Are they going to rebuild? Are they going to try to go after a high lottery pick? And I vividly remember you, you know, we did these, you know, and I, I will confess I don't watch a ton of college basketball. You probably watch more than I do. But uh, you would come on these podcasts when we were doing, like, these who should they look at in the draft uh, episodes leading up to the draft, and you were like, Lonzo Ball, that's the guy. That's oh, who I want. I love Lonzo Ball. Like, I, I loved him in college. I mean, you could see how, how well he passes and connects people, but like, that's a separate issue. The the point I did want to make about this front office. So like it's you and I could be like, Lonzo's a good basketball player, right? After he yeah. produced for the Pelicans, like we can go out and give up all this draft capital to acquire um, players like that. What we can't do as well as front offices should be able to do is scout players and if you want to look at who the Bulls have drafted right now and the positions they've drafted them, um, that's what concerns me. Do they have truly have an eye for talent that's any better than a replacement level front office right now? Four draft picks in Chicago. Um, they've been Patrick Williams at number four overall in his slot, which he could still be a dependable rotation player in the NBA, but he's not the fourth best player prospect in that draft. There were better options. Was not a good draft. It was a pretty bad one in 2020 after the top couple, but Tyrese Halliburton was still right, out there on the board. Gonna... Um, Marco Simonovic, Simonovic, 
who they don't even invite to the United Center a lot of nights to like dress despite being on the 15 man roster. Like they literally have him in the G League playing. Like just never ever going to crack and get a minute whatsoever for this franchise. So second round picks, very, very minor, but still a, a misevaluation of that if he can't even get in like a rotation or a chance for 90 seconds when someone's hurt, basically. Io, great pick in the second round, even though we've seen some limitations this year. And then you trace it back more recently, like Dale and Terry in a year the Bulls were been pretty inconsistent and despondent at times, like hasn't been in Billy Donovan's rotation very often because he's just such a raw prospect. So right now, like they're they're staring at one for four on their draft picks. So that's what concerns me about this front office um, at this point in time, I think. What do you think of Patrick Williams so far? It feels like he's got, I mean, you've watched him more regular than I have, but it feels like this, maybe the second half of this season, it feels like he's kind of starting to put some stuff together a little bit. Yeah, I honestly, but... I'm starting to wonder if he should play a little bit more small forward, actually. And I don't know that he's going to be a prototypical starting small forward or anything, but I'm looking at the three point numbers. I just wanted to be, be perfect on these 41.5%. Like, that's really promising. He's also always been a good three or free throw shooter since he came in the NBA. Like uh-huh. it's really nice to see that the guy has a soft touch, um, a good shot when he has time. It still takes him a little bit of time to wind up, but like his rookie year, like man, that, that jump shot, like it was super high arcing, right? Like it was nearly like a roller coaster that you had to inch your way up to the top and like come down on a steep descent. Like now it seems like a little bit more, um, of a routine or, or traditional jump shot in that sense. So I I still have promise for him mattering for the Bulls. I I just I just wonder if that's like in a sixth seventh man role where he's succeeded this year, or if he can still plug in at some point to a starting forward spot. That's my question. I'm not sold whatsoever on him being a frontline starter. That's like, hey man, this is a guy that's my starting power forward or small forward. Love him. I can reach the East finals when I got a guy like that in that spot, like not anywhere close to there, but I think like just once we've reconfigured expectations for him, I've liked what I've seen. He's just a bad rebounder. I don't know how much you can play him at power forward, right? Like he's, he has been at times a truly awful rebounder and that's a tough spot to start um, as a team. If that's your power forward spot, even though the bulls have covered it up this year, with good rebounding from others. Vooch is a very good rebounder. The defensive rebounding percentage has been pretty good from, from day one all year. But um, some of that has to do with Patrick Williams being off the bench at times too. It's interesting when you evaluate guys like Patrick Williams because when somebody is the number four pick in the draft, especially for a franchise that was in the position that the Bulls were in at the time where they have a new front office. They've been trying to rebuild unsuccessfully for years. They were, you know, this, the new the new GM, the new president come in and say, okay, this is the, our first big, you know, pick. You know, you, you want your, you know, top five lottery pick to be the guy or you want him to be yeah. one of the guys. And, like, if Patrick Williams had been, like, the 12th or the 15th pick in the draft and he has the exact career that he's had so far – people would say, yeah, you know, pretty good pick. You got a rotation player in the middle of the first round. That's pretty good. But because he was the number four pick in the draft, yep. he comes with a certain amount of expectations. And I don't know if that's fair or not, but like he gets judged kind of to a different standard than he would if he were just judging him purely as a player, you know, stripping all that stuff away. And that was unfortunate. The Bulls got their lottery luck in a year that was 
two, three player draft, basically, mm-hmm. it felt like. And Halliburton, obviously, if we'd known what he was going to be, would have made that essentially a four player draft um, in many ways. But I mean, Wiseman hasn't panned out. So it, maybe it still was a three like, player draft. Yeah, it's, it's more like three players and the Bulls had four. So um, that, that was a difficult spot for them to be in, no doubt, especially with something happening so early, um, kind of in their tenures to get that. But it's, it's interesting. Some of their processes really confound me too. like just giving Billy Donovan an extension off a 46 win season and first round exit and not announcing it, which the not announcing it publicly is more of a Reinsdorf thing. I just, <laughs> I'm just the type of guy who's like, why it, it wasn't like, from what I understand, it's not like the Reinsdorf's went in and demanded that Billy be extended. Like it was a front office initiated idea from what I understand, like talking to Billy about it and being on the same page and they have a great partnership, but it's like, who, who extends guys with two years left on their contract when they're not like Greg Popovich, Steve Kerr, or Eric Spolstra, right? Like it, so much goes wrong in the NBA so fast all the time and can blow up in epic proportions. Like you don't need to be doing that until there's a year left on the contract. So I I've made that point several times, but that just always puzzles me why they did that. Um, so some of those things, like you can tell it, it has the feel still of kind of a first-time front office in many ways. The not announcing the extension part yeah, that's is just a Ryan so thing, bizarre because to me, and it's like I get it that like this front office is a little bit more secretive and a little bit less willing to leak stuff than the previous front office was, but you should want that out there. You should, you know... This was our first, you know, we just, we, we, as one of the first things we did when we took over from the previous front office was we fired Jim Boylan, who was widely thought of as like one of the biggest jokes in the league as far as like head coaches of the last 10 years. We hired a real professional respected coach in Billy Donovan. We feel like it's gone, you know, he got us back to the playoffs in his second year. We feel like it's gone well enough that we want to give him a contract extension. That's good PR. That should be good PR. You should want that out there that we feel good enough about our first coaching hire that we gave him a contract extension. I don't know why you, like, what you're accomplishing by not having it be out there. And then I forget whether it was Shams or Woj, but it was, like, one of the national guys that reported it, and it was like, okay, okay. It happened when the Bulls were struggling, too, which was kind of just a... uh... I think a subtle message to the locker room, quit complaining about anything and, and figure it <laughs> just out. Like, like, just like, Hey, we're not going to fire the coach. That yeah. Type of... Yeah. That's not on the, that's not on the docket boys. He's actually <laughs> going to be here way longer than you. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I actually think, I think it, I, I criticized the process, right. Mm-hmm. And maybe they acted early and they'll be smart by acting early. Cause I think Billy has to me, um, anytime you're a few games under 500, I don't think he can sit there and say, uh, a coach has had a great year coming off a of 40 weeks, 46 win season when they're going to um, go below that, obviously. But the Bulls having a top five defense is, I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. Like, he's gotten a lot out of the roster that he's had. Billy deserves credit. The lead assistant or one of the lead assistants, Josh Longstaff, deserves some credit for that, too, um, obviously with the Bulls. But it's hard to build a really good defense around three guys who are question marks on defense in Vooch, DeRozan, and Levine. And I think. Zach Levine deserves a lot of credit um, because he has been not good. Um, I don't know. He's at least average, I think, most of the time defensively. He had a really good um, late game um, defensive stand on a couple occasions against the Timberwolves in, in another double OT game last Friday that the Bulls won 
where he got they, they went after him and locked him down, um, tried to get him one on one, and he made some plays, made him force um, tough shots, stuff like that. So like he has been more locked in on defense. So I don't think it's as hard as it used to be to build um, or cover up for Zach Levine's deficiencies. But like Vooch can't really guard the pick and roll laterally, and like it's still okay. It, it hasn't like killed him this year by that standard, and like they're he's a good defensive rebounder and they're putting him in spots where he's comfortable to do that. So really it's like, they've really only had to cover bad for DeMar. Like DeMar is so bad at defense. I can like, I, you really got to watch him all the time, but there's like three times a game where it feels like he's a train that needs to be turned around and you have to like slam on the brakes and it takes like four minutes for him to turn around and go close out on a shooter. And I know some of that's because he's had like hip and thigh injuries dating back to a little before the all-star break, but it, it can be difficult at times. And like Billy and what the bulls have drawn up to again, um, put him on the worst offensive player on the other team and keep him out of some spots has been really, really good. I think for, for their defense, but same on the flip side, offense hasn't been good enough. So that's where you would criticize Billy this year, obviously. Is DeMar still, you know, locker room wise, is DeMar still the guy that everybody kind of looks to like he was yeah. last year when they brought him in and there was like the talk about how, how much of a transformative presence he was? Is that kind of still the case? Yeah, I, I get that sense. Um, and again, this it's interesting because this Bulls locker room these past couple of years, none of them are strong personalities until Patrick Beverly got here. Like none of them, right? Like Patrick Williams was not mad when he lost his starting spot. Um Vooch only gets mad in small, short stretches at the refs and get technical gets technical <laughs> fouls or maybe yells at Patrick Beverly once on the floor. But, like, he's a very, very easygoing guy in the locker room. You know what I mean? And we yeah. know Zach Levine's personality. DeMar, DeMar is a serious individual about his craft, but, like, he's kind of a happy-go-lucky guy, too. He's always got a new metaphor to share after, like, every game, whether they win, lose, draw, whatever it is. Um He's always got something. So um, Pat Bev has been that infusion of a different personality in the locker room and someone who's actually just going to sit there on the court. And it was like, what? It's like Patrick Beverly's like third game with the Bulls or maybe even sooner he was yelling at Vooch on the court and Vooch was like, what is going on? Stop this. Because um, <laughs> of a defensive missed assignment or miscommunication between them. And I'm just like, well, we, we have not seen anything like this off this team. And I know Caruso is a good communicator and is a quarterback of their defenses when he's healthy, but he doesn't approach it like Patrick Beverly does. So that just makes me chuckle. But, yeah, they, they still look to DeMar. There's there's no doubt he's got a ton of respect in that locker room. And um, he hasn't had the heroics of last year or that 15-game heater, but he's still been pretty good offensively for, for all things considered that they won out of him. How real is the stuff about Levine maybe being out this summer or wanting out or, you know, how, first of all, how real was any of that stuff at the deadline that they were looking to move him or that they had talks about him? And like, is that, is that something that might happen this summer? Yeah. I mean, Zach Levine's frustration with, with how some things played out this year was real. Um, and certainly something that that was palpable when you're around him after before after these games, you know, in practices. Uh-huh. Um, he did not like whatsoever getting pulled by Billy in that early season game against the Magic in the fourth quarter. Um, there was certainly a meeting when the Bulls were really struggling how to get him and DeMar um, on the same page offensively a little bit more. And Zach's in a re- weird place, right? Like he's clearly the more modern scorer. He's more efficient. Um, 
everything considered when his three-point shot's fallen than DeMar is. But DeMar just has this immense respect and more NBA credibility built up over the years is like the best way to put it. So neither one's confrontational. And I think Zach sometimes gets confused um, where he should fit in that mix, whether it's vocally, whether it's how to assert himself in certain stretches of games. And honestly, late in games where the Bulls have almost always gone to DeMar. So um, the Bulls certainly had discussions with the Knicks. I don't think it was serious whatsoever at all. I mean, I, I don't have all these details on on like trade deadline day. You know, the right. national reporters are killing it. I know Joe Kelly was all over that story doing a good job reporting for the Sun-Times. But the farther you get away from it, the more you hear. And like, they'd be like, yeah, obviously they had talks with the Knicks. They were not close on price points. And all Zach Levine has done, like the Bulls, they got to do something this summer, right? Like I – even though there's a growing sentiment of Patrick Beverly's making them play better, they have some great net rating stats. They're eight and four with Bev here. This is Think, still not it. This is not it. You <laughs> nailed it, Hagen. This is not it. There's got to be some changes. I personally would shop DeMar and try to trade him for more shooting or just someone fortify that rotation with a better two-way player, even though they won't be. You're, you might be selling 60 cents on the dollar. You know what I mean? But someone who fits around Zach a little bit more. Um, I think you got to look at the Vooch sign and trade market too. Um, the problem is he can certainly just leave on his own if he wants being a free agent and unrestricted free agency. But like, I just, I can't just bring Zach Tamar and Vooch back again. Like you got to see, but the, as this relates to Zach, his price has only gone up since February when they had those talks with the Knicks because he's proving to be way healthier. He just played Big minutes, back-to-back games, double overtime, back-to-back nights at the United Center, doing it efficiently. Had some really good passing, I thought, against the 76ers. Like, he has elevated himself in the past month to show more consistency, more efficiency, and his price is only going to go up from whatever it was before, and they already weren't close. So that's my long-winded way of saying I still expect Zach Levine to be on the Bulls next year, but I would also expect his name to be in trade rumors too. That, they're kind of in the same spot, actually, that the Blazers are in. Just to relate yeah. it back to Portland a little bit, like they're both kind of in the spot. And I mean, I think I think the Blazers are maybe in a little bit of a different spot, just because you know that you've got the guy. Dame is yep. the guy, and he's still at the level that he's been at this year. Like he's having arguably the best year of his career. So you've got that part of it. But this, you know, that this new look supporting cast that they, you know, they 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 brought Simons back for a lot of money. They brought in Jeremy Grant, who's been really good, but like this mix of guys, and they were pretty open going into the season about like this roster isn't complete. We need more cycles of like trade deadline, free agency, you know, whatever. But it's pretty clear now that this Blazers team is about to, you know, they haven't been mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, but like Dame has basically said without saying it that he's expecting to get shut down in the next week or so. And they like they basically yeah. they know they're not going to be in the playoffs. But you can't go back. You can't come into next season with Dame, Simons, Grant, Nurkic as your four like main guys. They're going to have to do something. And their plan is to do something and maybe something big. But it's the kind of a similar thing of like, okay, this is the summer. They got to do something. And I kind of feel like the Bulls are in the same spot where – like you were saying, they cannot just be like, oh, yeah, DeMar, Zach, Vucevic, that's our big three. Like, you know, we're just going to run it back. Well, yeah, I mean, the Simons and Dame point you bring up is a similar problem with different playing styles, right? Like, how do they yeah. both play off each other and then cover defensively at the same time, which the Bulls face in 
a different way, just with a more mid-range focus, DeMar DeRozan in a different age curve a little bit, um, perhaps. But that's the same issue, right? And it's hard to get these pieces. And um, it's funny. Like, I mean, the Bulls were interested in Jeremy Grant in the past, too. You know what I mean? Before he landed in Portland. They wanted Patrick Williams, right? Wasn't that the thing? Yeah, the Bulls just weren't willing to, to part with P. Will at that that moment in time. It doesn't feel like um, the way it transpired. And certainly, like, he he's a great piece to have on your team, but when he's, like, your third piece, that's a problem, right? Like, um, Who, Pat or Jeremy? Uh, Jeremy. Jeremy, same. See, I like, think Jeremy's a great number three guy is the thing. I think, I think the, well, prob- maybe, the, the problem, problem is the- maybe he's the number two guy. Well, the problem, the problem that the Blazers have – is they've got Dame and Jeremy's a great number three guy, but you need a number two and and Simon's you know is as great of a year as Simon's has had and like that's been a pretty good you know that contract that he's on is ended up being pretty good value. He's not a number two guy on a on a contending team, and maybe Shade and Sharp gets to that point in three years if he you know reaches the upside that you know people still think he has, but. If you're Dame at age 32, they don't have three years to wait for Shaden Sharp to maybe turn into that guy. So you kind of have to, and I, I, I fully expect Jeremy Grant is going to be back this summer as a free agent. Like, like that's, I think that's going to be a pretty open and shut thing. But what they do with the Simons slot and whether that is something they do to get, uh, you know, bring somebody else in, throw some picks, like something like that, I think is what they're going to probably end up doing this summer, depending yeah. on who's out there. And that, I mean, that gets a bigger question than NBA, you know, like they're just contracts you have to give players at certain moments yeah. in time, right? Because you can't let these guys walk for nothing. That's where the but Blazers when, were at with Nurkic. Yeah, but when they are maybe one-dimensional or or have so many weaknesses at one end, even you can be a two-dimensional player, you know, if you can pass and shoot mm-hmm. um, really well but have defensive challenges, that gets really hard when you go to move them because – you can't find the exact match you want. And sometimes at some point, one of the teams is going to have to give up and just swallow their pride and give up 70 cents on the dollar and not get full value, but it might make the team better sometimes. You know what I mean? And I think with the bulls, like I feel like that's what it would be if they got rid of Vooch or DeMar. And honestly, I think getting rid of DeMar would be the smarter play there Um, just because, Vooch, I thought Vooch was really good, for example, against the 76ers, just with his passing and everything. And um, sometimes he gets a little three-point shot heavy. But, like, if the Bulls would just trot out someone who could shoot six open threes in DeMar's spot in the starting lineup, right? They don't have to be an all-star. They don't have to be a 25-points-per-game guy. Like, then maybe Vooch doesn't feel like he has to shoot one of seven from three. You know what I mean? Just to chase the three-point ball when they're already so low in the NBA hierarchy and that. So I think if the Bulls formed a better team around focused what accentuates Zach Levine's strengths in many ways, I think that would have a trickle-down effect too for them. But that, again, is a tough needle to thread this summer and one I, I, I haven't fully looked at every single available player. The trade market will obviously crystallize after the playoffs and everything when some teams blow up and someone's unhappy. Um, and then everyone makes their – their decisions on player options and everything, but that's that's the tough decision for the Bulls threading that needle. Where would you put? They're, they're in the tenth spot right now. They're two games up from Washington. I think it's probably pretty fair to say they're they're going to stay in the play-in, probably in that nine ten with yep. Toronto or Atlanta. 
what would you put their chances at of actually getting through the two play-in games and getting into the playoffs? Not good. If they got to go to Toronto, um, the Raptors beat them by six, I think, in Toronto shortly after the Bulls added Patrick Beverly um, coming out of the all-star yeah. break. The Raptors have given the Bulls some some fits this year just with how creative Nick Nurse can be. They've really, really made a point to get the ball out of DeMar and Zach's hands um, when they've played the Raptors and make other people beat you. Uh-huh. And that length they have gives the Bulls problems um, just because the, the Raptors, I mean, those guys are quick and long, right? Like they're not huge bruising bodies all the time. I mean, they got Pirtle now, so that's very helpful for them. Um, to have a little more physicality and rim protection, which is good. But even before um, they had him, like they could give the Bulls some problems. So I just think that would be a really hard game off the start to win for the Bulls. And then they'd have to go play another one, either against the Heat, who the Bulls just own. They just absolutely own the Heat now. But I'm still going to take Jimmy Butler in a home game against the Bulls in a win or go home game. Like that's just the way it is. Or more likely, maybe they'd play the Hawks or something in that mix too. Um, and look like the bulls will be competitive in those games. I have no doubt about that in my mind. Like, I don't think this is a Charlotte Hornets situation where they get blown out by like 49 points or 39 points in the freaking 10th place game, ninth place game, you know, like it's not going to be like that. Like, like Patrick Beverly's going to leave his heart and soul on that floor in the playing game. And it's going to be glorious to see. I just, I just don't have big confidence on them getting through that. So I mean like 20, 25% to get into the 20% to get into the traditional 18 bracket, I'd say, would be my prediction now. And, hey, I'm on a heater hiking. I was at the All-Star break. I feel like I did a podcast um, with the uh, with Ricky and Jason on Cash Considerations. And Those we were making guys. predictions. And I said the Bulls are going to make that dead cat bounce. They're going to take the league by storm and earn that 10 seed in the East. And that's exactly, <laughs> exactly what they're doing right now. So my predictions have been good lately. Um, so I would predict a tough loss in the play-in tournament. Uh, the Blazers have done the opposite. Like they, they have completely. They're not even. Uh, they like ESPN puts up those graphics now of like the West playing. Yeah, race. they're not in the hunt anymore. They're not even in the. They're not even in the mix. They're not going to catch like San Antonio and Houston. But they're also still not even like in the mix with like with Oklahoma City, the Lakers, Utah, uh, New hey, Orleans. There are a lot of Bulls fans who wish they had whatever percent chance the Blazers will have to get Victor Wimbayama. So um, just keep that in mind. There are Bulls fans that want no part of this chase for the uh-huh. eighth seed. Oh, if – I mean, especially because the Bulls owe what, – what is their pick that they owe to the Magic? Like top four protected? Top four protected, yeah. From the Vucevic so, trade? Yep, you nailed it. That's um, brutal. But Yeah, it's – I. so I was watching – I know – we don't watch a ton of college basketball, but I watched Kansas play a little bit. Grady uh-huh. Dick, the uh, good wing on, on Kansas, probably could go in the lottery, obviously, this year. And, like, he kind of just reminded me a little bit of of a tall, lanky guy who can handle the ball a little bit, shoot it well, um, certainly can hold his own defensively, um, isn't a star. But I'm like, that's, that's Franz Wagner, right? Like, <laughs> we could literally have two slots in three years the Bulls give up that just like our modern day solid guys who maybe again, don't have all-star ceilings like multi all-star ceiling potential, but just strong players who do a lot of things really well in a starting lineup. And the bulls will have given up the rights to take like two of those, two of those guys in a three year stretch, all for a three and maybe what, maybe five, six year stretch of Vooch. I don't know what a contract extension could be, but the bulls want, 
to re-sign him, I think. I just don't know exactly what the price point will be. And um, I think it depends how it ends, too, and how he feels like his role's going at the end of the year. And he's in a good mood now, right? Like, he did not outplay Joel Embiid, but he held his own against Joel Embiid, who's probably going to be the MVP of the NBA. And, you know, Vooch's play on Monday night was a big reason the Bulls had a chance to win that game. So I see, like, the front office's vision at times, like, you know, you got to have guys like this that can produce consistently and make the right play and pass and rebound and also score 20 points. They just have too many of those guys and not enough three-point shooters, I think. we got to get to the really important stuff now. The Bulls, What's that? The, the legendary TNT Bulls streak finally ended this year. Oh, my God. You're going to make me relive this? Go to another what? funeral? What? what? You and I, I think, were probably there for most of the TNT yeah. Bulls games originally. What was your favorite one? Ooh, you're gonna get me. You're gonna get me gone here. Um, I think maybe my my favorite one was probably Etwan Moore making a couple big shots yep. late to beat the Thunder on a night that Russell Westbrook. I'd have to look it up exactly if it was his MVP year or not. No, but, it was. No, it was. Was it? I no, 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 no. No, it wasn't, no, been wasn't on the team then. No, yeah, 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 it would it would have been. Yeah, it would have been before that. But no, it was when Durant was still there. He was, he was, I, I don't think Durant played that night. No, this was, no, this, this would have, this might have been the year that Durant had the foot injury and he was out so for like most of the year. Russell Westbrook was in MVP mode. Like, you know right. how he changed yeah, yeah, triple yeah. doubles. That's how he was playing because Durant was out. So it was stylistically the same. Uh-huh. So he's doing everything, just absolutely blowing the bulls up with his speed and explosiveness, every possession. And then we got Etron Moore hitting shots. One of the couple low key favorite moments. The streak did die at one point, and then the refs called a foul with like zero seconds on the clock and put time back on, and Jimmy Butler made two free throws to beat the Celtics. Just thought that was a great moment, you know, resuscitated the streak after it actually had died for for a couple quick moments in time. And then Pau Gasol blocking LeBron. This might be my favorite. Uh So the season opener, Fred Hoiberg's debut, Cavs, Bulls, Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure Barack Obama was in attendance for. Oh part of that game. yes, he was. I, I, I. We can talk about that too because that was <laughs> up to late in the game, and Pau Gasol past his prime, blocks LeBron James in his prime at the rim. Ball goes out of bounds. I think I, I think the Cavs got it and had another shot, but Pau Gasol put up a wall to hold off the Cavs and LeBron James in his prime. Like it was just like. No way on earth Pau Gasol is going to deny LeBron. <laughs> I was like did. 34 that was, at that point, too. <laughs> that was the magic of the streak, though. What was your favorite one? Which well, one I think, come to mind? Well, I think mine was probably the Paul Zipser uh, game-winning mm. shot against the Warriors, with the, the Durant Warriors. I yes. think that's probably the one for me. Uh, quick thing about the, the Obama game. Yeah. Were you at, were you at shoot-around uh, that morning? No, I think I know the story you're going to tell. Because we... Uh, like we get to shoot around. I was I was I was writing for Bleacher Report at the time, so I was kind of still doing national stuff as well as Bulls stuff. And so I go to Cavs shoot around. Yeah. And it takes like twenty minutes to even get in the building because <laughs> in a di- we didn't we didn't know at that point that Obama yeah. was going to be there. But you know you go through normal security and then the Secret Service has to like pat you down and take everything out of your bag, bag. like they 
not only that, like, they have to, like, open up your laptop because I, I guess, like, you can rig your laptop to do something that they want to yeah. make sure that I it's mean, not. I mean, have you ever watched Jack Bauer in 24? Obviously. Years ago. But, yeah, like, <laughs> so basically you have to go through, like, these two extra layers of security. And we're just like, oh, this is kind of weird. And then we go down there. We hear that, you know, the rumor is that Obama is going to be there. Yeah. And so one of the Cavs beat writers asks uh, David Blatt about it. And David so, Blatt yeah. goes, uh, you know, I've been in fr- I've coached in front of heads of state before, so it's yeah. not a big deal. Yeah, he has coached around dignitaries. <laughs> but he coached in Israel, right? Something yeah. like that. Remem- well, in- well, remember he uh, – the, the Bulls-Cavs series, the, la- the last Tibbs series. Yeah. Uh, the game where uh, LeBron, like – calls the timeout as the inbound or Blatt calls the timeout and they and like when they didn't have timeouts and they don't call it and then LeBron ends up hitting the game winner and then David Blatt comes up and does that press conference and like compares himself to a fighter pilot and basically like you know I have to make so many decisions but the thing that I actually remember the most about the Obama game even more so than David Blatt saying well you know I've coached in front of heads of state before at one point during one of the like late timeouts okay J.R. Smith, like, like oh, so Obama is sitting courtside. Yeah. J.R. Smith walks over and daps him up. It's like not like it's not like an official like presidential handshake. It's like an actual like I don't know if it was like coordinated ahead of time, but it was like a real like dap. That's so good, right? Like you're like, oh, LeBron, obviously, will go over there, right? Because yeah. like LeBron and Obama are like actually friends, yeah, like, but, like like Kyrie has the stature to like. Right over there, J.R. Smith's just that's just perfect. (laughs) Um, But from what I could tell, like I think I think I because there was so much media at that game, I think I was seated up in the hockey box. But like from what I could tell, Obama rolled with it. Like he was he was like, oh cool, because Obama's a big NBA fan. He probably like actually like knows who J.R. Smith is. That that was also the pinnacle, the very peak of the Fred Hoiberg era Mm -hmm. was the first game. I think you could say. Literally everything went downhill from there, pretty much, including, I think, that was around the same time he claimed that Joakim Noah volunteered to come off the bench. Yeah. Because he thought it would make Joakim look selfless. And, and Joe Joakim... was like, what? I didn't say that. And then he just... Joe's he was like, just... no, I have more pride than that. I do what Coach <laughs> says, but I uh, I think I'm a starter in this league. And then, uh, like, a month later, Jimmy told reporters that Fred needed to coach them harder. Oh, my God. It's just... Unbelievable. Like, so I was just about to say one of the most cold-blooded things was when LeBron told reporters about that playoff series that um, I scratched that play that, that right. David Blatt drew up yeah, yeah, that yeah. had me as an inbounder of the ball not going to me. That was very cold-blooded also because I think he made sure to get a message to a reporter to ask about it if they weren't already going to because he wanted to put it out there. Um, but Jimmy Butler, cold-blooded to just say, coach, coach got a coach harder. That was pretty good. That was cold blooded. <laughs> and then from that point on, because I like I th- I think the nadir of it was probably the Hawks game in the three alphas year that they blew the ten point lead. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah, then yeah. Jimmy and Dwayne uh, come out of the locker room and like basically have the exact same, same message, message Ron, about how the young guys. Well, how the young. Well, well, the the message was also funny because like it was all about how like the young guys need to want it more and like. I should be taking Dwayne. Like I should be taking that shot. It's like Paul Zipser is not the reason they lost that game. Well, it but, was that was just a team that the priorities were clearly misplaced, right? When uh-huh. Dwayne Wade said that Paul Zipser shouldn't take a wide open three pointer, <laughs> when taking wide open three pointers was like one of the few things Zipser could do at like yeah. close to an average level, maybe yeah. Um, 
And then Dwayne Wade saying, no, he doesn't take that shot when he was everyone on the play was making the right basketball play. It was pretty clearly obvious that at that point in Dwayne Wade's career, it was not about winning anymore. It was only about being in Chicago in a location he wanted to be in where he could also make some good money because that was not, that was just a team that did not put winning first in my opinion. And then, uh, you know, then, you know, the next day Rondo does the Instagram post and Rondo was like already out of the rotation at that point. And so then, you know, Hoiberg's response to that was to take Jimmy and Wade out of the starting lineup. (laughs) One quarter. It was they, every... But then they came back in at like the six minute mark of the first quarter. Yeah, and can't. then they just played their normal rotations after that. So it's like, it's like either suspend them. Like, and there were players in like the locker room that I was talking to afterwards that were like, what, what, what is, what are we doing? Like yeah, you either, gotta... either suspend them for real or don't do anything. Yeah. That was, that was absurd too. Oh my gosh. We are, we've moved on to a bulls. Uh, I mean, that was, I guess, kind of the middle ground of a player-friendly gesture, right? Like a slap on the wrist, but not real punishment. Uh We've kind of moved on to a more player-friendly organization here now. That's clearly a point for all NBA teams. The Bulls made a point to to preach about that when they hired the new front office. But it's really, really hiking. It's the same middling results in in Chicago for the most part. Um, There were a lot of years around 500 with Fred Hoiberg at the start of that. Um, And now the Bulls are a little under 500. Yeah. So this is going to be an interesting game on Friday. I'm going to guess that the Bulls are probably going to put more effort into winning that game than the Blazers are. I think Dame's still going to play in that game, but they just released the injury report while we were on here. Uh, They just released the injury report for the game tomorrow against Utah, and Jeremy Grant is still out with his quad thing, and now Anthony Simons is out with foot soreness. So there, it's it's starting to they're starting to. to we understand what's going on. They're Every, starting. They're gonna have like a if they if they're in sixth they'll have a nine percent chance and if they're in fifth they'll have a ten and a half percent chance. Yeah. At Victor Wembanyama, so I they they know what's up. They're gonna they're gonna just like to just just for optics they're gonna keep Dame in the lineup for like a few more games, but you know. I was convinced Dame was going to score 80 points the night they played at the United Center. The Bulls beat him, but he, mm-hmm. he was just spectacular, especially in the first half of that game. So, like, if he plays, obviously, the Bulls could be in big trouble. But, like, this is a Bulls team that is taking care of business lately um, against teams that it should. So, if he's out, like, this is a prime opportunity for the Bulls to hang in there on a West Coast road trip that that could be pretty darn hard. Obviously, Lakers coming up, too, um, for them. and. And this is a spot where, like, the Bulls are just, as long as they don't collapse, they're going to be the 10 seed. You know what I mean? So um, every win, obviously, is going to be crucial for them. And every loss is going to be crucial for the Blazers. So, I mean, there are clearly goals that can align Friday night in Portland. And the Bulls are still not getting that pick. No. Although I do do think they're going to get a pick from the Blazers this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's probably, that could be their only pick, too, the or I mean, you're saying the Blazers is lottery protected. Yes. So when the Blazers land in the lottery, the Bulls are gonna that's gonna push back to next year. But what I think is gonna happen, or what I think there's a good chance it happens, and I've talked about this on here before. Repealing it, repealing those. Well, what I think they're gonna do is because they got a first this year from the Knicks in the Josh Hart trade. Mm. That's probably gonna be like eighteen or nineteen or twenty. 
So what I think there's a good chance they do is go to the Bulls and just say, look, this is like equivalent to the pick that we would have given you guys if we made the playoffs. Can we just give you this pick and call it good? And I think the Bulls are going to agree to that just so they have a pick this year. Yeah, because the Bulls also owe Adam Silver a second-round pick because they signed Lonzo um, three seconds into free agency, <laughs> which... Nobody which, does that. Nobody does that. I don't. They should have just not broken the rules. They were the only team that does that. No other team know, has ever tampered. Some people would say you can't do a full medical evaluation in three seconds. I don't... <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying I'm one of them. I'm sure they did their proper medical evaluation yeah. of Lonzo between 5 p.m. and... 5 p.m. 03, whatever seconds it is. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, they, they don't have a lot of uh, draft capital right now. The Bulls still owe one to the Spurs as well for the DeMar DeRozan trade. Yeah. Um, obviously, probably sending one of the Magic most likely here as well. And second rounders are just like candy that they throw out in any trade these days, basically. So I can't I couldn't even tell you the next time the Bulls actually have a second round pick. The Lonzo thing just sucks, man. It's so when they, sad. When they say cartilage so transplant, that feels career-ending to me. I mean, this is I – mean, there's no other way to frame it other than a last-ditch effort, right? Yeah. And, like, that's not to say that last-ditch effort can only have a 1% chance to work, but it's clearly the worst option um, and the last option to, to save his career. And um, it's just a really, really – um, dire, sad outlook. You feel terrible for him. Um, you feel terrible for, for just the organization too, because he uplifted so many of them. Like he was those so te- good. Those teammates love him to death. Like, yeah. um, they, they really do. So, um, it's, I don't know. It's, I don't know what to say. I'm sad for Bulls fans too, because basically the happiest Bulls fans have been since basically near the end of the Tibbs Rose era was when Lonzo was throwing outlet passes to Zach Levine for 35 games, right? Like, that was the happiest Bulls fans had been in so long um, to see fun basketball. And he's just a huge reason for it. And they're going to have to somehow cover it up. And uh, they're going to have, I mean, I don't know if you want to get into the mechanics of their options eventually, but it's going to be really, really interesting how they approach it. Right. Because the career ending injury thing, like it has to be a year past the last time they played a game that he played a game so if he comes back and plays for them late next season and it doesn't work out, it probably takes away the ability to use the career ending injury provision to get his 20 million off the books for his final year, you know, but uh-huh. everyone's so smart here, like way smarter than, than you and I, when it comes to this medical stuff. Yeah. So I'm sure they will probably have a pretty firm grasp on whether it worked or not. Right. Like if it didn't clearly work, they're not going to trot him back out there for another NBA game. Um, so it's a last ditch effort. It feels like, yeah, and there's really no precedent for that procedure working as far as like getting yeah. a guy back out on the court. Like, I think they tried, like, I think Festus Azili had that at one point and he never played again. I yeah. think that was, I don't think Brandon Roy ever had that, but like something I think they talked about doing with Brandon Roy at one point, but Brandon Roy is just a name that keeps popping into my head whenever I see another one of these Lonzo updates is cause that just, that just feels like that's the direction that it's going. Unfortunately, yeah, and uh, I I also don't know what they're gonna do. You know, I mean, like I mean, the Bulls next year they gotta they gotta get to work and use the disabled player exception if they can at least to yeah. get a ten million dollar exception to use in season, right? Like, if they can tell Adam Silver in the NBA, look, it's not happening this year. He's gonna be out all year. They'll give him that probably in five seconds. They'll they'll stamp that. But then you got to go about acquiring that 
that player too. And it has to be someone in the last year of their contract, which um, can be a little difficult and isn't as much help as, as you'd, you'd hope to add, right? Like they need someone that's a pretty darn good point guard to slot into that spot for, for two, three years here. And they're not going to be able to do that immediately. Probably. Yeah. Well, hate to end on a down note, but that's kind of where the bulls and the blazers are both at right now. Uh, so Cody, it was great to do this with you again. Yeah. After, I mean, what, five years since we stopped doing them for six years, actually. Yeah. I kind of want to go back and listen to some, uh, early on locked. Oh bulls. God. I, 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 I could not bear to do it. I'll bet they're terrible. Oh, the, the pro- production audio quality is pretty terrible on them. I think some of the takes and the mechanics of how we flow is pretty terrible. Um, but at least it was uh, entertained a few Bulls fans. We got better yeah. later on. It's one of those it ones. That was, that was both, both of our of first time. That was both of our first time actually hosting a podcast on like just, a regular basis. And I feel I'll like. Never, I'll never forget just going off on the Bulls for like playing Ryan Archie Diacono like significant minutes at some point. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. you have to have a standard and threshold. Current like Blazer Ryan Archie Diacono, by the way. There you go. It. See, it's all come full circle. The best Finally. episode, the best episode of Locked On Bulls that we did, and this is actually one that I would encourage people to go back and listen to if you want to go back six years in the archives or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But when Jerry Krause died, we had Sam Smith. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And he just talked about covering Jordan in the eighties. It was so good. Sam's incredible. Sam's yeah, the best. That was that was actually one that'll make you. Um extremely more informed and, and smarter. So yeah. Um, so, anytime, but yeah, um, anytime, give me a holler. Fun yeah. to hop on. Yeah. Fun to talk about a couple uh, teams that have disappointed a little <laughs> bit. The bulls still have a little bit more life in them though. Just a little bit. Yeah. Cody, read your stuff. 670, the score.com as always at Cody Westerland on Twitter. Uh, I'll see you in a couple months when I'm in town for the combine. And Perfect. thanks for, thanks for coming on. Yep. Anytime. Take care.